0: Welcome to Naming Naming
1: It, where we discuss pop culture, current events, and how they relate to the way that we live our lives, all through the lens of two Black psychologists.
0: Naming It is dedicated to acknowledging the elephant in the room, validating the lived experience of people of color. Coming to you from the Bay Area, California, we thank you for joining us.
1: I'm Dr. Bethford Palmer.
0: And I'm Dr. Lamisha Hill. Music on Naming It is provided by Lee England Jr., the soul violinist good morning evening afternoon yeah welcome to naming it y'all
1: welcome to naming it
0: it's episode number 57
1: 57
0: i am back on track
1: why were you when were you off track
0: you know sometimes i I don't know what number we're on so i'm I'm on point today
1: i I think you're making that up i think you always know what number we're on (laughs) it's like you're the one who defines the number and puts on a thing i don't know why you said (laughs) that sometimes it's it's wrong
0: or sometimes i don't number it anyway
1: okay okay i don't know what that was but
0: hey namers
1: what's going on y'all
0: we are excited to be with you all again
1: are, are you really are you, do you
0: yeah are you excited i am excited i need more energy uh-uh yeah
1: no 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 yeah, no, no, no i want some more no, some more no, of the, no, no no where's the no, no, where's no, the no, dancing and the, no, the moving and no, all the the, the no, no, lamisha no, no. energy okay. that usually
2: Mm-mm.
1: Mm-mm. I'm, I'm waiting for it i'm like i need i need to I feed off of the energy you know what i'm saying
2: or
0: you just you know clown on me a little
1: bit i mean yeah that's that's true <laughs> you know i need that part too that they they like that i mean you clown on me
0: I'm trying to be nice, you know, in this in this new month. We're almost in a new month. It's almost April.
1: You're not trying whatever. <laughs> I will not be lulled into some sort of false sense of safety in this room. You all know I'm not safe and Lamisha's not safe. We talk too much smack. Anyway.
0: You got any shout-outs? Do Shout-ins. I got shout
1: outs? Shout-ins. Shout-ins. Um, let's see. Uh I have a shout. In shout out, um, no. <laughs> I don't have any.
0: I'll I'll give a shout out to right to Dr. Uh, Cynthia Medina, who her birthday's coming up this upcoming week. So happy birthday, Cynthia!
1: There you go. Happy birthday, Cynthia. Um, I hope everything is going well. Oh, I do have a I have a shout out um, to uh, Dr. Uh, Jennifer Lovell, um, I'm not able to be there, but they're having a celebration of the, of a, of a new addition to the fam. And, uh, I just wanted to, to tell you that I'm thinking about you and I hope everything is going well. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I, I, I will be sending my, my beads. I have some beads. She knows what I'm talking about. Wonderful. Yeah.
0: So I almost forgot, you know, it is March Madness. Mm. And my ducks did take down, you know, you see her and
1: the
0: anteaters. I got to see it live in San Jose. Oh, okay. Unfortunately we didn't make it through Virginia, but Okay. We showed up.
1: Good for you. I don't know what that what why Oh you my goodness.
0: Up? You don't watch you don't you don't watch any of the basketball? No,
1: I don't. I don't watch it at all. Oh, <laughs> um but we just to let people know what that was was LaMisha's pointing out that her her her, her graduate school team beat my undergraduate school team What was your what was your undergrad school?
0: Loyola Ramblers. Oh, were they in? We made a great run last year.
1: But were they in this year? No, they weren't in this year. Oh. Okay. Whatever. So I'm just saying.
0: No, I mean, <laughs> I mean you where's your graduate school team? SIU?
1: Yeah, SIU is better what? SIU has a history. They 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 go, right? yeah mhm-. When I was there they were they okay, were like they ain't the going team. now, hey, well, you know, okay, yeah, mhm-, yeah, but I don't know why you're trying to bring up old stuff.
0: moving on, y'all, mhm, moving on, y'all. We said this year you know, and moving on out through Damien, because we are in an election season that we're gonna give a couple updates here and there. So for our presidential campaign, we now have nineteen declared candidates,
1: yeah, that's a lot of people.
0: So a lot of people, we got some new additions. Um, A few in particular, who did I wanna point out? I think uh, Mike Gravel from Alaska joined the race. He is a US Senator. And then also John Hinkelooper from Colorado, governor of Colorado joined the race. And Wayne Messam from Miramar, Florida. Mayor of Miramar joined the race. That's cool. Wayne is the second African-American man to join the race.
1: Good for him. You you do realize that we ain't never going to hear much from none of these people, right? Uh, I'm just saying.
0: I don't even know how they can, like, I mean, do they have to pay money for, like, special town halls and stuff with, like, the big media outlets?
1: I mean, I, I or do the
0: media outlets just choose who they want to bring on? They
1: choose. I mean, we talked about that with the California state governor election, right? And, like, uh, how different media, different people get uh, different coverage based on, mm-hmm. you know, who's choosing them, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it's interesting that there's so many people throwing, throwing in their hat. Uh, maybe one of the people who isn't, you know, Kamala um who isn't uh, Corey, who isn't uh Elizabeth, right? Like the you know, like they're Bernie. I mean like those are the people that were really talking about Beto. Um like they they kind of made their their mark. And so some of the folks maybe are are trying to make their mark for the next time or maybe somebody's gonna come out. They'll be like this like
0: Yeah, you know you, you know, might, out you of might the, have a out good point. War. It seems like uh, a really <laughs> big investment both not only financially emotionally i who knows what it takes to really like launch a campaign it's
1: money it, it seems it's financial <laughs>
0: time you it's know money dragging yourself across money, the country it's donors se- it it seems like a lot of work but you're you're absolutely right that sort of the standouts are are people who are um, have, are currently in office, uh, who have ran before, who have a lot of kind of political uh, sparkle. What am I trying to say? Popularity under their belts, you know?
1: Well, gravitas or experience. I mean, like some of the, I, I think, you know, I'm not necessarily against the idea that the people who are in are in, those people have also paid dues. And I, and, you know, we've talked about this before. I think that you should pay some dues before you try to run the country. Um, you know, point, 45 point in case, right? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like you, you, the idea that you, that anyone should be president is silly and childish as far as I'm concerned. Um, I think that people who have skill sets that fit that should Mm -hmm. be president. And I think that the way that you figure that out is by the work that people do. I'm not saying it's fair that everyone has access to stuff, but for the folks who do, however you want to put it, like, we mm-hmm. should be picking from the folks who are, comp, who are both competent and who are going to serve the needs of our communities. Um, so, you know, sorry, if you're a business person from someplace that hasn't done anything but business, then you don't know how to run anything that's, like, not about making money. And the country is not about making money. The country is about keeping people safe and, and, and making people's lives better and doing those kind of things. That's not, you know... I don't have the skills to do that. I haven't I haven't sat in office. So, you mm-hmm. know, anyway, moving on.
0: Moving on. What do you want to get into for a real talk?
1: I mean, you know, you know that's is that how we started.
0: <laughs> Why you just gonna try to I'm just trying to make the transition. You didn't
1: know. You said you uh, know how to do the transition.
0: Wait. Wait, no, we're not there yet. Yeah, Sorry, just, back it up. Just... Sorry. <laughs> I'm off track today. I'm off track. Okay, get it together, Misha. So what's going on, Bedford? Ooh, again. <laughs> Are we going to get into what's going on now?
1: I are mean, you telling me to play the jams man. Right? are
0: What's you saying? can you can you that's what they play? want
1: that's what the people
0: want i don't know i think we gotta record another one no we don't
1: people love <laughs> I, where, where is that coming from <laughs> maybe i'm tired of hearing my i act. think you need to apologize to candace no i candace mean, did a great job i'm, I'm just saying tired
0: of, why tired you of, what you know it's like i, I think wait you say you're
1: tired of hearing it i'm trying to hear me wait are you saying you listen to the episodes? Bedford,
0: we're not going to do this
1: I'm right
2: just, now. I'm just saying. We are like, not going to do I'm this right
1: now. I'm just saying that, right?
0: I'm just
2: saying. We are not. I'm just, we are I am not. just saying.
1: Play just, the champs. Okay. So go ahead. Y'all do that.
0: What's going on?
2: Hey. You know, know what's going on? You just clip that and use that for the rest of the time. You <laughs> <do> <laughs>
1: All right, we're uh, back. Y'all, seriously. I'm not, hey, you know, <laughs> I had to cope with and accept the fact that All right. the artistry is not, a, but you know, it is what it is.
0: What's know? going on? We're going to get you singing. I'm not singing.
1: <sighs> we have a recorded piece. Everyone loves it. It was wonderful. Your voice, her voice, you're like angels, and, I, and I'm not necessary. So moving on. What's it's going on? A lot of stuff, or little stuff. I don't know, like... um, Different stuffs going on in the news, right? You um, wanted to talk
0: about something specific.
1: Well, yeah, I did, but I'm trying to like ease into it because <laughs> you didn't want to talk about it. Um, so I'm, yeah. The thing I wanted to talk, one of the things I wanted to talk about was, um, you know, what's going on with Chicago and the and Rahm Emanuel and all this like outrage um, at the uh, the the. Taking back of the charges on uh, Jesse Smollett, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, if y'all have been paying attention to the news, uh, and you know, I'm, right. before we even get into it, I'm not, I don't know what what happened on that night with that guy. I don't know. What I do know is that when they figured out that they believed that he had lied, um, they tried to make a huge example of him and put all kinds of felony charges on sky for breaking for 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 uh making a false charge which seemed to be out of line with all the false charges that we hear about all the time i mean just like you just all you gotta do is go on youtube and look at some white person calling the police on some black person about sleeping on a bed in their bedroom you know what i mean in the black person's bedroom that the white person broke into and no one gives them any consequence for like putting people in danger and doing all these things. So Jesse, who happens to be like, uh, you know, a celebrity, he does this. He also happens to be a black man and also a gay man. And suddenly he gets all these crazy consequences for potentially having made, you know, false statements. Uh, I, don't, again, I don't know what he did or what he didn't do. What I'm saying is, is that from the perspective of like social justice, like these are disparate consequences for, for people. Right. And then once they find out that it's disparate consequences, suddenly you have the mayor of Chicago and the police force of Chicago with all this righteous indignation that I did not see when we found out that they shot black men who were unarmed and then tried to cover it up. So, I'm just saying, when I hear that Rahm Emanuel is super mad at this actor with the police behind him who covered up stuff, I don't know. Like, it it, it bothers me. It seems like something that we should call out.
0: So, Bedford called it out. Lemisha didn't really want to get into it. And Why I'm, are you speaking in third person? Because I can
1: I mean, yeah, we can do all kinds of okay, whatever.
0: <laughs> I, you know, I, and I think that my hesitancy, and so I'll just put it out there is is, you had said when you started out, you're like, if you follow the case, and I'm thinking, like, how the heck could anybody follow this situation just because there is so much uncertainty and you know, being on the outside. What is, what does the media say? What do they choose to print? What do they not print? What do we know? What don't we know? You know, it's like the the, the saga will, go, will be made for a, a TV drama, you know, it's, but, but at the end of it and then in the center of it, there is someone's life there, right? Someone's lived experience is there. Um, and I think that the reflection of not only just about Jesse, but I think that what people have talked about is the ways in which, you know, invalidating, the members of the lgbt community particularly trans people of color who are most marginalized and most victimized in the public sphere that there's a connection there uh in terms of how we speak about whatever did or didn't happen to him in the lack of acknowledgement for other communities that that are really being harmed and i and i definitely i, I Bever and i we you know we went back and forth and being from chicago and like feeling like you know i knowing, having knowledge of how the city operates in in its sort of corrupt and, 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 and interesting ways. It's not surprising to me that Rom would come out and try to leverage himself in that way, um, but perhaps I personally didn't really, in the moment I didn't see it as like the, the kind of, I didn't see the gravity of it and I think that you're bringing that forward. Yeah, I'm gonna own it. I I just didn't I didn't read it that way. It's like if Ron wants to get on TV and say what he wants to say, like that's not that's not news to me. He does what he wants to do.
1: Yeah, I'm not saying it's news. I, I, yeah, I'm trying not. I mean, I feel like you got a personal relationship. What? With, I mean, like these these. Did I call him Ron? Yeah, <laughs> it's like he's your buddy. <laughs> uh, I you know I I think it's it the the thing that like comes up for me and. It, I feel like we have to be able to think on multiple levels at the same time. I think this is a matter of intersectional Mm -hmm. understanding, right? Mm -hmm. So if Jesse uh, mess, if he, if he lied about all that stuff, that makes him a horrible person. It makes him like, I mean, it makes it so we should not listen to him. It makes it so, wait, what? I mean, if he lied about this stuff, then
0: that's Bedford's opinion. What? I don't understand. I, I, there's moments where like the the language and like uh, I just don't I don't want to make like a character judgment about like if he did or didn't. What does it say about who he is or who he's not? Wait, so what does that can... mean about his character? What you know, like I don't I can't make meaning out of it.
1: Well, I mean, I, well, I mean for you, but I mean you don't have to. I mean, like I don't. I actually don't understand because we we do that a lot. So um, I think that you can make a if then statement. So if he lied about. If he, if he, in order to kind of build his own gravitas, lied about being attacked and and in doing so invalidated like the experience of all these other people who have been victimized, then that makes him into a bad person. Um, I don't really know how you can make someone into a bad how how bad people exist if you can't understand and judge behaviors and see that they've they are bad. Um, and if he didn't do it then he's a victim, you know? Like I said, don't know. It seems like he it seems it seems questionable. But regardless of that, what we do know is that the prosecutor couldn't charge. the prosecutor tried to overcharge him, which historically is done to black people, right? Like we're historically overcharged, we're historically over imprisoned that's true.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? They tried to levy consequences on him that they don't try to levy on the other people who aren't black, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Like they
1: tended like you there's all kinds of false accusations against black people in every city and every state in the country. And if all of those things happen there'd be far less white people walking on the street. You know what I'm saying? So like if 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 police actually followed up and like charged people with that kind of stuff on a regular basis. They don't do that. Right? Right? So he was, they, they tried to basically make an example out of him, which is a public one, but they tried to do that with all of us. And then after it comes out, like, so they tried to throw all these charges, the prosecutor pulled the charges back in a way that's very specific, that it's a specific way where, that says, I don't have the evidence to say this, right? So if we're in the United States understanding our criminal justice system and a black man is his his charges are pulled back in this particular way when we know that they'll go after us anyway then that that gives me pause about like whatever evidence they have on to to do these prosecutions what it doesn't what it apparently didn't give pause to the 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 law enforcement leadership and the city leadership there mm-hmm. and they decided that they're going to continue to talk about this dude when they could have just like not said anything you know that decision, I think, makes it so that it's something that we can comment on because they chose... They, Rahm Emanuel has not been out here railing against his own police force. He has not been out here talking about the deaths in Chicago that come from police violence. That He's not talking about... Like, I was just looking on, I saw a a piece on The route about um, the Chicago PD coming in and breaking, like, they they came to the wrong address and basically, like, destroyed a four-year-old's birthday party and, like, destroyed his gifts and laughed about it. And there's, like, all this stuff that they did, which was inappropriate. There's no outrage. There's no Mm -hmm. Rahm Emanuel out talking about why are you going into black people's houses and then destroying stuff, you know? But we're... He can make an example of a black man and a gay man on TV, right? With and he's giving these platitudes about how he cares about, you know, the rights and blah blah blah. But like honestly, even if Jesse if Jesse did that, right, that doesn't invalidate like hate crime legislation. It just means Jesse's an ass, right? Like so, like his whole premise is that people of color, people of marginalized group, have to be perfect. And can have no representation of people like us who act out, mm-hmm. who do bad stuff, in order for our rights to be protected. That's his thesis, which is a problem, right? So that that's my say on it. I don't, you know, again... I uh, I don't have a problem like, you know, as a as a as a psychologist, as a psychotherapist, if you come in my office and you're my my client, then you will have a space where there will be complete lack. There will be no judgment. You'll have unconditional positive regard for me and all that stuff that does not extend outside of my office. Like when 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 we're out in the world, if you see Bedford Palmer (laughs) and you do messed up stuff, then Um, I'm going to be like, that's messed up.
2: that's That's a bad
1: thing to do you shouldn't kick dogs that's bad you shouldn't hit children that's bad you shouldn't you shouldn't you shouldn't get drunk and throw up on the street i don't like that that's bad you know what i'm saying like just just don't do stuff that's bad and you won't be labeled as bad and if you want me to come help you later and come into my office and we can talk about how to fix things then i won't judge because that's what that's the that's profession but not outside not on the radio Naming it, we judge fair, the hell out of shit.
0: Fair game, fair game. So, just to kind of recap, I feel like you that you highlighted kind of like three main points and issues. Or well, at least I heard three. There's probably four more. This piece around, you know, the trauma and the the harm. And the disproportionate level of violence and assault on people of marginalized communities, particularly the LGBT community, that does need to be named in this situation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, The overcharging of crimes for people of color disproportionately. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know that that people, like you said, the criminal justice system, they end up, you know, really. Anyway, I'm not going to get into it because I was going to say something. We know that they overcharge. It's not it's not. False, right? That is Mm -hmm. accurate, and that doesn't need to be named. And Mm -hmm. I think the third part that you highlighted is really connected to how people in power choose to use their voices. What do they speak out for and against, and what do they remain silent on? And there's plenty of things that the city of Chicago, that leadership in Chicago has turned their backs on, covered up, and been actively... Corrupt. Yes.
1: Immoral hmm Bad. Got some more words? I, I got a lot of them. I got a good lexicon. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, like, I, I I get it. I'm not really trying to pile on to... Well, I am, but not... This isn't, like, me to you. I'm, this is me to them. Like, mm-hmm. I just really... I mean, it's, it's one of those things where... We've talked about this before. I hate hypocrisy. hmm You know? And it's just deeply hypocritical for people who... Or, and maybe it's not maybe it's maybe actually it's not hypocritical if you are
0: a corrupt person that's their pattern
1: well yeah but if you if you're yeah yeah if if you're a corrupt person and you do corrupt things and you do horrible stuff to black people then it's completely aligned for you to continue to do so so yeah they're completely aligned so never mind
0: mm-hmm. and the mayor's office and the police department have been in alignment
1: I mean, that doesn't mean for, we shouldn't call them out. But mm-hmm. I'm just saying, like, it's not a hypocr- It's not a hypocrisy thing. They're, right. they're. I mean, they're pushing white supremacy and they're doing a good job of it.
0: <laughs> so is this a good time for us to transition into our real talk? Real talk. All right. So for this real talk, we had a wonderful opportunity to connect with Assembly Member Dr. Shirley Weber, uh, who represents the 79th district that includes San Diego and other communities. We got a chance to talk to Dr. Weber about a recent bill uh, that is proposed in the California Legislature. That's AB 392.
1: Yeah. Um, so, you know, I found I, I heard about this bill. And um, I'm trying to remember how I, how I came across it, but like it, you know, it's been in, it's been in, in the legislature this since I, I think uh, sometime in in late January or early February. Um, and you know, we constantly talk about um, police reform and we talk about uh, criminal justice reform. Um, and it's one of the things that interests me a lot. And to find out that we had this like, really no nonsense, Bill. Mm-hmm. Like I mean like it's it's so just simple and and correct that that it it just surprises me that it's there, that there's not as much talk about it and um and I worry that Somehow it's not going to pass, even though we have a Democratic majority in, in the, the Assembly and in the Senate. Right. And like we got like we're supposedly in this progressive space in California. And yet, you know, somehow. Something, a bill that basically says police can't be negli- criminally negligent is somehow negative for police. Right. You know?
0: So we're going to talk about it a lot more, but how about we get into uh, getting to know Dr. Weber a little bit in one of the first questions that we had asked her? Okay, cool. Communities. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Weber.
2: Well, thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it.
0: And our first sort of question for you is really what sparked your shift from academia to public office?
2: Well, you know, I, I think one of the things that um, because of the fact that, um, you know, I was a part of the founding of the Africana Studies Department at San Diego State in 72 uh, to do um to take on such a task in terms of really trying to transform the university and open up the ivory towers to others and paint it a different color than just ivory, um, it becomes real important that you have a community, that you have a base of individuals who support you. So from the very beginning, um, uh, my mentor, uh, Dr. Asante, who, uh, who is in uh, Philadelphia right now, but he once was at UCLA, always had us believe that we had to a responsibility to deal with the community to be engaged and so even as an undergraduate at San Diego at, at UCSD uh, not UC, UCLA is where I went I've done some things at UCSD but at UCLA I was always involved in what was going on in my community at the Malcolm X Center or the this group or that group trying to engage kids in my community to do things and so as a result I never did the separation of the academic from the political and the social. Mm-hmm. And I felt that there had to be some relevance in what I was doing at the university. And then being in Black Studies, being one of the few Black faculty mm-hmm. on campus, always pushed you to to have a voice on behalf of Black students, you know, to make sure that what we were doing at the university was relevant to students. And when things uh, got kind of crazy at the university, who would the students look for? they looked look for the Black faculty to mm-hmm. come to uh, deal with the administration, or if the community was having issues with the university or trying to get students in or things were happening that were not desirable for black students on campus. It was the Africana Studies Department that basically became the voice uh, for the community. So I never did the separation of academia from the community uh, and service. And so it was an easy transition for me when I served on the school board, uh, because I, I was well known in the community, which is not always easy for a university professor. Most of them are not that known in their communities. because because their community oftentimes is the, is the university, and that's all of their service, all of their work, and all and the things that they do. And so, for me, though, in order to sustain Black Studies, I had to get in the community. You know, I had to have the com- I had to make the university understand that if they decided to do something kind of crazy with Black Studies and eliminate us or try to take our tenure, that there'd be a population of people who would come to our rescue. You know, mm-hmm. and 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 we did. You know, we, oftentimes we'd have to say, you know, uh, we call it Black Ministers Union or whatever group. To come to the university, talk to the president because of the way either black students are being treated, or black faculty, or the lack of resources. So they knew that there was a that we had a constituency beyond the campus, and that was important. That that kind of reality as an academic a person made me a, what we call a a, a scholar activist. Mm-hmm. Uh, that my work as a direct uh, benefit to communities uh, and, 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 and the research and the work that we did in terms of trying to change the, the essence, of running classes in the community, those kinds of things we did uh, to get community members engaged so that they owned Black Studies, they owned the discipline, and they owned uh, the university. And in that sense, we had a constituency base. So when I ran for school board, it was, wasn't was a big transition because I'd already been out there beating on doors and talking about the poor quality of education of black kids. Wow. Uh, so it was logical when they decided, figured they needed a new school board member, that the community came to me and said, hey, we want you to run. And I'm thinking, why? You know, well, because you, you've got the voice for us. And so, you know, I ran for school board and, and had that position for eight years. Um, had went back to the university, doing my thing as usual, uh, working, uh, chairing the national for Black Studies and all those kinds of things and putting on conferences, it was then, once again, the community comes and says, we need you to run for the State Assembly. By then, I had retired somewhat from the university. I had been over 40 years. And, and really was in a position where I was going to do some other kinds of things, some other kind of community-based programs and what have you, but recognized at that point that the community was saying again to me, um, you know, we need a voice in Sacramento. We need someone to go to Sacramento that we trust. We need someone to be there who we know will raise the right issues for us. And I looked around and I realized that, one, we never had an African-American south of Los Angeles to actually hold a position at the state level. That's number one. Uh, I also knew that of all all the folks in the African American community i probably was the only one who could win the race Mm-hmm. Uh, because the others were not as well-known. And because of my engagement with the university, uh, my engagement on the school board, you know, my engagement in all the political activities and life of of, of San Diego made me uh, well-known in the university communities and the communities surrounding it, and probably would be the only person who could actually win the seat. So in running against seven other individuals, you know, I came out and got probably—I got more votes than all the other Democrats combined. So. It became important at that point to to recognize the fact that uh, I had a responsibility, and to open that door. And once I've opened the door, I have a responsibility to make sure that there's a clear agenda that improves the lives of those who sent me there, all the communities that sent me there, Mm -hmm. and also to then begin the process of finding folks to run for my seat when I leave, to mentor other women, uh, people of color, so they can understand what the process is about, because that hadn't occurred before. And so I've taken that as a responsibility for the last six years, and have really been working to open up avenues and opportunities for others to understand what this political process is about, to participate in it at every age level, and to encourage others to run for office. And I've done that, and we've been successful in getting uh, some additional persons on school boards and some additional persons in city council, uh, because we've been working to mentor uh, women, particularly women of color, uh, Mm -hmm. to do some things that are a little bit different than they've ever done before in the history of San Diego. So, so my transition wasn't that difficult, because I had been politically active. And even though I was a professor at the university, I had—I was a scholar activist and always engaged in what was happening politically in San Diego as a voice for the African-American community.
0: All right. So one of the great things that that Dr. Weber shared is how she defines herself as a scholar activist. And I just really appreciated uh, her sharing her story about like the creation of the Africana Studies Department and how she really partnered with the community to make the university more accessible.
1: Yeah. um, You know, I I think that like... uh It really shows how, I mean, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about a little bit before, like earlier in the episode about like experience, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, she didn't just come out of nowhere to to become an assembly person like she built up. she was she was doing community work and community organizing and she was doing it, you know, starting at a student level, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that a lot of people don't get that. When we talk about community organizing, um, a lot of folks think that that means you have to be out in, like, you know, the neighborhood somewhere. Um Community organizing is organizing whatever community you're in. So there's a lot of student activists and student leaders and, you know, people who are in college campuses. A lot of the folks who are right now, if you're, uh, you know, running your, your BSU or your ASU or if you're your Metshow or, mm-hmm. you know, like your 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 woman's group or your 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 your, uh, your Lavender group or whatever. You are community organizing and you can start leveraging that into into leadership in a lot of different ways. Right. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And just for her to really acknowledge and and I think that in some ways she saw herself as, you know, well, I kind of wish I got a chance to ask her this, but like there's a part of like her knowing that she was the one who had built all the relationships and like people knew her and they trusted her and she had been doing it for so many years that it kind of just made it like her like a natural candidate in that way. So I didn't, I I feel like, you know, she really kind of described herself like kind of being called into that role, into that position Mm -hmm. uh, because of all the foundational work that she had done.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, she was, I don't think it was just figurative. I mean, people actually called her, Mm -hmm. you know, and said like, Hey, you know, we want you to do this, this job. Um, And I I really, I, I, I think, the, the thing that maybe people can can think about taking away from this is, um, you know, looking at yourself and saying, like, you know, what do I need to do to get myself ready to, mm-hmm. to step up and, and to lead if I need to. Right. So if you're out there and you're thinking, like, I want to be involved in policy, I want to be involved. I want to be a lawmaker. I want to, you know, get into any of this stuff, even if you go and get your doctorate in mm-hmm. something. Right. Even if you go and get your master's or something, even if you go and you work in a space for many years, If you're building up, like, experience as a leader and then you go and you actually start enacting it, you can start building, you know, a -hmm. a new resume for yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, so she went from from was it city council and then move forward? Was it city council? I think
0: school board. School board. School board. Mm -hmm.
1: Right. And then um, and, and then like, you know, progress forward. You know it wasn't like this this like
0: I'm just gonna be us you know an assembly person and right take on yeah and I and I hear that it reminds me of something that other people have shared about like this idea of leadership you know you, sometimes you can start by joining an organization you don't always have to just go out and create a new one Right. Uh, and just the, the different kind of avenues that there are and I also just really appreciated the way that she talked about mentoring the next generation particularly for people of color to really see themselves in public office get to know it mm-hmm. um to start sort sort of those campaigns and spaces yeah. in their cities with the areas of interest and expertise that they hold yeah. and then seeing where that takes them in their future. Yeah,
1: and I think that might be something that um, a lot of our young leaders need to understand and, and really, like, take on, um, you know, and this is just, like, things that I've seen personally is uh, I haven't seen a lot of attention uh, to, to to kind of grooming and mentoring and thinking about legacy past, like, the mm-hmm. the, the moment right now. You know, like how do we make our our? our and, and I'm not just saying like I guess I'm not really just saying for this group, but like in in many groups, there's like a separation. For instance, between like uh, baby boomers and and the civil rights movement, and then like the the Black Lives Matter movement and like the other rights movements, because folks kind of let go, you know, and they didn't think we need to kind of keep this moving there'd be some people but they there was like this mass of folks who were part of movements then they put away their you know their 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 black jacket and their you know their their beret and suddenly they don't talk about it and we get that there's a whole thing about racial trauma and all that stuff that happens but For us to have a sustained movement, people have to kind of think about that part as well as what's the the fight right now, you know, and grooming people and building out your BSU and your ASU and all that stuff so that like the next group, the freshmen can learn how to kind of move forward through it and like graduate students who have done that stuff going and talking to these different student groups and doing that stuff, you know, and like the same difference, like with like churches and the same difference with like community organizations and whatnot. Mm -hmm. How are you going out and making sure you're bringing in the young energy and teaching them how to to actually make good change,
0: we're gonna get back into the interview with Dr. Weber because you reached out to her specifically because of legislation that she proposed, and that's AB three ninety two, which is really related to um, California um, officer involved shootings uh, and really reducing the the number of officer officer involved shootings and the use of deadly force. And so the ACLU put out an article and in which it states that according to the California Department of Justice, police officers killed one hundred. Hundred seventy two Californians in twenty seventeen alone, and that they did so with startling racial disparities. Yeah. Of the hundred seventy two people killed, more than two thirds are people of color, and of those who were completely unarmed, who when police killed them, three quarters of them were people of color.
1: Right, um, and so you know, we, to keep that in the in the context, I mean, like the racial disparity, the on that is is a huge amount. I mean, mm-hmm. like. Right now, I don't, I think it might be that the state of California has just a little bit over half of the people are people of color, right? Like, so, mm-hmm. you know, like we're talking about like this this huge percentage. Like if we were just gonna talk about like statistics that, that, that there should be a normalized curve and the curve should just like every, you know, there's every group should have the same curve. Um, what we're seeing is this huge skew towards killing people who are people of color. Um, and, and, and what does that really mean about the moral reality of our policing in this state?
0: Right. Yeah. And I know folks are probably thinking, well, California is a huge state. Um, but this article also points out that um, California police killed at a rate of 30 percent higher than the national per capita average. Right. Right.
1: And by the way, our, like, I mean, if you if you if you, if you think about um, the reputation of California, Right? We're supposed to be this like really liberal space. Mm-hmm. And I think that this kind of does speak to the reality that California is really liberal to white people. Right. But for people of color, it's not as liberal as folks think. There's mm-hmm. all these enclaves and these spaces where, where people of color cannot go. You can't go. You know, and so, like, if we're talking about being in the Central Valley, if we're talking about Orange County, if we're talking about, like, parts of the Bay Area, Berkeley, like, you the the, the peninsula, right. like, you know, there's always a space. San Diego, there's a bunch of places. I grew up in San Diego. There's a bunch of places in San Diego that, like, literally I would not, like, go to at night and stuff like that, not because I was worried about gangs. Well, actually, yes, the Ku Klux Klan, that's who I was worried about. The San Diego PD, that's what I was worried about. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, like, it's... It, it, i I think that that little dose of I mean I think that those statistics show the reality of of what it means to be a person of color in America you might you have a high likelihood of getting shot by the police compared to your white colleagues and mm-hmm. white friends and white fellow citizens
0: right so should I tell our listeners a little bit about ab392 before we get back to the interview with Dr Weber Uh, Sure. All right. So the ACLU also has a a great description uh, that says that under current law, police can use deadly force whenever a, quote, objectively reasonable officer would have done so under the same circumstances, even if they have other alternatives and even if their own negligence created the threat. This standard provides legal cover for police to kill, even when it is not necessary to protect the public. AB392 will update the standard to allow police officers to use deadly force only when officers have no reasonable alternatives to prevent imminent death or bodily injury.
1: So, you know, I think that that's a really good kind of succinct way of explaining it. Um, so we got to ask Assemblymember Weber, um to kind of explain this in in her own words so let's listen to that i wanted to ask you now naming it we we kind of started we our whole podcast we first we're beginning we're thinking we're just going to talk about psychology and social justice and then in 2016 right in the interim between our first and our second episode um, it was in the summer and that was when, the, uh, when Philandro Castillo and Alton Sterling were shot by police and our kind of the trajectory of the podcast shifted. And so we've, oh, had, cool. we've had a theme around police reform and um, criminal justice reform and, and just like protecting black bodies and black lives. Uh-huh. Um, and so coming across your bill... Um, uh, I mean, it, it was one of those things where it felt like, like there was music playing in the background and the, the, the heavens kind of <laughs> opened up and it was like, did, is this part did, who she, she knows she, she actually understands. Um, and, uh, it also was a prideful thing because I'm from San Diego. So I was like, of course the, the sister from San Diego understands. But, um, so I, I'm wondering, could you tell us a little bit, uh, uh, about the bill that you put forward and like what that, and, and what that process has been like?
2: Sure. A B um 392, we, we put forth a bill last year, uh, 931, and it was in the middle of the year, middle of the, of the two-year session. And so um, it, it got—you know, we, we had to hold it and not get it through all the process because of the delay in timing and what have you. So we put forth AB, again, 392. Uh, we were committed to bringing the bill back. And the bill is, is a simple bill. I mean, it, it, it really is. It's a bill that says, uh, as a policy decision for police departments, that you should not use lethal force. Unless your life is in danger, the officer's life is in danger, or someone in the immediate community's life is in danger. Uh, and so as a result, uh, if you're not in danger, the person and, 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 the, and the community, there's no one there that, that can be harmed or hurt, other than of obviously the, the perpetrator. But there's, there's no harm that's going to be done to anyone else in the community. Then as an officer, you should seek other means to de-escalate the situation and to, to apprehend the person. So lethal force then becomes the last thing you use uh, and not the first, and uh, and so uh, and and it's it's it really sounds like I say it sounds simple because most folks when when they see a shooting ask wasn't there something else people could have done and that's what they're basically saying uh, is there not anything else in the toolbox that folks have that will allow them to apprehend this person without shooting them and we've seen this time and time again across the country where people have actually been dangerous themselves and uh, shooting up people. In uh, in in Florida and elsewhere, and people are taken without incident. Okay, uh, so there's a, obviously a respect for life in that in that sense. So this bill basically says that 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 you know, uh, given all the circumstances available, that if unless you you as an officer, your life is in danger, um, that you uh, should use other means, uh, or someone else's life is in danger. So it's a, we're moving from what a what a standard which they call what is reasonable, mm-hmm. uh, which means were you reasonably afraid, which could be you know anything that is biased and so forth and so on, so really, is it necessary? Is this the only thing that you have that can get this situation under control? And, uh, and so, it's a, like I said, it's a very simple bill. It's being uh, used. The, this policy is, uh, in, in, a, in effect, in Seattle. It's in effect now in San Francisco, and it is in effect in policy in Los Angeles. So, and we, and, and in each case, we have seen positive results of uh, a decrease in the number of shooting of unarmed individuals. Uh, we've also seen that the, uh, no officer has been, uh, no increase in officer incidents in terms of them being hurt, and in some cases, some minor decreases. So, so this is a smarter way of policing. And it's a safer way for people in communities. It does not open up uh, situations for folks to police officers to be under attack and to be heard and, and not able to defend themselves if they really have to defend themselves. But it's a smarter—it it basically values life and says, if you don't have to take a life because your life isn't threatened and no one else's life is threatened, then you should use other means to, um, to apprehend this individual. And, uh, and so that's—the the bill is, is just that simple. There's no magic. There's nothing hidden behind it. But we know that with smarter policing, with a, with a focus on the issues of de-escalation, with a focus on what is available to me in this in this situation, when you go into a situation, uh, that then drives a different level of behavior in terms of different kind of training and hopefully different outcomes.
1: So it seems like, I mean, from, from the way that she describes it, I mean... I don't understand how there can be really any opposition to this. It, it seems like it's so, you know, common sense. Um, it's not asking uh, police to do anything that I think a reasonable person would think that they should do. You know what I'm saying? It's like that they shouldn't do. Um I think, in fact, like what what ends up happening is like we think something is the reasonable standard mm-hmm. and we're wrong about it. And that's why, you know, there's so much confusion about the way that police tactics work. But I mean, right now they're there. There's a big opposition to what she's doing. Right.
0: Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's really interesting. I had an opportunity to go to Sacramento and I had a chance to. Visit the senator's office, excuse me, the assembly member's office, and just um, we were on a lobby day for the California Psychological Association. So circulating throughout uh, Sacramento and the halls of, of the Rotunda building and everything, and there was a flyer being put into all of the assembly members' boxes that essentially has the words, well first it starts with the image of a bullet, and then it says, Cop Killer, that AB 392 is a very real threat to public safety. And I had a chance to dialogue with um, the Assemblymember Weber's staff member, uh, her lead staff member, and we talked about this. And I said, You know what? You know, how do you all r- receive, you know, sort of tactics like this? Is it looked at as a threat or what's the impact of it? Um, And there was a really real conversation that essentially um, a lot of folks are intimidated. A lot of people who are in office are intimidated by the different lobbyist organizations uh, and the different unions that come out with materials and propaganda like this.
1: Right. So, I mean, you know, it's I think we've seen that um, a lot of politicians um, and a lot of people they bow to police unions and to um, the constituency groups that align with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, what I what I wonder and and what I what what sticks me up is like, where, when does morality come in? All these people they sit there and they talk about how good people, good and just people, innocent people, and all this stuff. But, like, you have these groups out there who are pushing for immoral, like, actions for their own benefits, and no one's calling them out on it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, you you if you're telling me that you want police to be able to move with impunity, then I'm saying, what are they then? Like, are they... Like, that's not what policing is supposed to be. Police isn't supposed to be judge, jury, and executioner. That's not what the U.S. The U.S. is supposed to be about. We're supposed to be a democracy where people are given due process and are assumed to be innocent. Mm-hmm. You can't be assumed to be innocent if you're shot before a trial, you know? And— there I mean, there were times when the sheriff, you know, would be able to go and do whatever they want. That's like the Middle Ages. You know, what I'm saying like that's Robin Hood and stuff, you know, like sheriff of Nottingham, would be able to go and execute and hang anybody they want whenever they want to. I thought that's not what we do here. But if we allow this special interest, right, which is basically like police unions and white supremacist organizations, mm-hmm. right, that want police to be used in order to push a white supremacist like philosophy onto the world, right? Which is basically killing black and brown people at a higher rate than they do white folks, right? That's like, that's what that is. Then how do we how do we allow that to kind of continue to, to, to be? And how do we like embolden our politicians, our representatives to like actually call it what it is?
0: Right. So before we get into what you can do from a call to action, uh, I think Dr. Weber has a little bit more to share about how AB3 and AB2 can really support community members in their action and their call to justice.
1: So um I think one of the things that 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 sticks out for me around this is um when I look at uh the way that people have tried to interact with um with Finding justice around these these shootings, we, they they tend to, to to come up across this this use of force policy, and they um, we run afoul of it because I don't think people really understand the difference uh, between kind of uh, the the current standard um, and what most people think, which is that it's a self defense standard. Um, right. Could you talk just a little bit more about that?
2: Well, that's that's basically it. You know, when we when people look at the situation, they ask the question: Wasn't there something else they could have done? Why didn't they uh, call on this person? Why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? And that's basically what folks are saying: that you know, yeah, you have access to it, and we have given law enforcement the ability to uh, to use lethal force. Uh, but we what we assumed most folks did is that that is like the last resort and not the first. And but the training is not in that way. The training will allow them to use it even when it's not necessary. But if their reasonableness—and the, and the bill—the the concept is over 150 years old, in terms of the law, that hasn't been changed. And it continues to—folks to, uh, believe it makes folks safer, when it really does not, and to create uh, harm for, for individuals and communities as a result of it. And that's why oftentimes we are, um, um, you know, in a position where we cannot uh, find justice for people. They wonder why there is no justice, and uh, mainly because um, of that.
0: All right. So yeah, it was great getting a chance to speak with Dr. Weber and to really hear her perspectives on AB 392. Do you have any sort of closing comments or thoughts about any of the other things that she had mentioned?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, like, I think, you know, she, I think the the thing that like really stuck out to me in, in the last segment that she talked about um, was this idea that uh, people think that having, um, I don't know, draconian policing somehow makes them safer and it doesn't actually make them safer. Mm -hmm. You know, all it does is it harms other people, right? Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't actually like make it so that your house isn't going to get broken into or your cars aren't going to get stolen from. It just means that, I mean, what ends up happening is that there's over policing of people who aren't doing anything, right? So they look for, they got to go find trouble basically that isn't there. And then you end up with people who are not armed being shot, people being imprisoned and false in prison, people being harassed on the street. Um, and it becomes like this, this, this excuse like, oh, well, our policy says we did it. We should do it this way. So therefore we do it this way. And you can't you can't have a problem with the fact that we're we're mistreating you.
0: Hmm. I think one of the things that I appreciate is just that. Um Essentially, when the bill is introduced in California legislation, then there it sets a new standard or high, the highest level of standard for all departments to follow, so that there's more continuity. And I think we've talked about this a lot. Is this in essence, if every department gets to operate somewhat independently, and while they have you know standards and best practices that may be similar, just the fact that there are that the, the, the language and the writing is not consistent across the board from space to space, I think it can really enhance more consistency. See in action
1: right so i mean and she, she mentioned that like the current law in the books is is over 100 years old
0: mm-hmm.
1: um so if you think about 100 years ago what uh what the values of the space were you know i mean like if we're talking about dealing with white supremacy now then like let's be super real anything 100 years ago it's much worse in this space um and you're also dealing with like the the reality that you know California is a settled space you know I mean we're we're a different place where people don't need the autonomy and like the things that would happen with police I mean like even just like a police chase right now um if you get in a car you run away from the police and it's your car they they don't need to chase you they could just go to your house they they know where you live you know if someone was on a horse back in the day and they tried to run and they go into the desert you might not find them um, so I mean, like it's a it's a completely different context, a completely different circumstance, and yet we're still using it as a standard. Mm-hmm. Um, so a new, I mean, an updated standard, it it absolutely makes sense. Her law, uh, this bill makes absolute sense. And I and I I will say, like I I think it's a litmus test for our um, assembly. You know, mm-hmm. like the state assembly. If you don't move on this, then that tells us where you stand. Like, do you stand? Do you, do you believe that police should have the ability to kill people without any kind of oversight, or do you think that the police should be regulated like everybody else in the state? Um, are you for um, the rights of a particular profession, or are you the right? Are you for the rights of the citizens of the state of California? Like, are you? Were you voted for, and are you representing? The police unions or are you voting? Are you are you are you representing the voters of the state of California? Um, so, so
0: there's many ways that our listeners, so our listeners are probably wondering how can they support AB 392 and sort of what is our call to action? And so we invite you all to visit a website, findyourrep.legislator.ca.gov, um, and if you want to know more about the bill, you can contact Assembly Member Weber's office. And the ACLU has a really great um, change. California's deadly, deadly Use of Force Law uh, website, and it generates an automatic message to your legislator. If you just put in your information about your your home address and a little bit about you, uh, it will draft a an email memo to your legislative representative. So you can find that. Um, I'm going to post the link technically in our newsletter, and we'll post it up on our uh, social media as well, because uh, it's a little bit longer. But it's yeah. action.aclu.org, but I imagine you'll have to search for the particular California's deadly use of force law.
1: Well, if, you, if they search for AB 392 and ACLU, it, it should be, like, one of the top things that pop up on the search. Um, is the, Do we give them the address for the actual bill itself?
0: Well, I'll put it in the newsletter. It's another technical—yeah, um, it's another technical title. Yeah. Yes, you can read it in its full print um, through some of the political uh, manuscripts online.
1: Yeah. So, uh, again, just search for AB 392 California legislature, and it should be able to pop up and, like it'll be you'll find it on our instagram it'll be linked on our instagram it'll be linked um on uh in, in there'll be links that that come out through our Twitter page as well as uh the Facebook page Wonderful. um what's
0: up I was gonna say that can take us right into our wind down
1: that's not a thing it's not a thing <laughs> there's no wind down that's not a segment <laughs> it's slipping in oh Yo, you were right well, what's the but it's not
0: called a wind down. Okay, like, so are we re- can we are we ready to close out? Sure. All right. So for more information about the topics mentioned in this episode, please check out our website namiapodcast Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at namia podcast.
1: Yeah, and uh, um, if where can they find you?
0: So you can find me on Twitter at lamisha hill, and you are i'm at
1: drbf palmer
0: and if you like what you heard you can always leave us a review i know that we mentioned on our last episode that we switched to anchor as our platform of choice so you can download anchor on your mobile device and be able to give us real-time claps and shout outs and all types of interactive engagement so please check us out on anchor and or leave us a review on itunes and other spaces yeah
1: and if you um If you if you do follow this call to action, uh, let us know, you know, send us a message. You can use Anchor and like leave us a voice message or you can uh, tweet it or share it um, and tag us on it. Let us know that you're out there and that, you know, you care about this and that Mm -hmm. you're going to you're going to move forward. Because, I mean, if if we don't take this opportunity, I mean, for the folks in California and folks outside, if we don't take the opportunities that are in front of us to make changes in these laws mm-hmm. I mean then what are we really doing Absolutely. so that's, uh, that's it for, for for me
0: and I just want to remind folks that all of the details and the information will be posted in our newsletter and to get on our newsletter go ahead to our website amiapodcast.com, scroll all the way down and click the subscribe button there mm-hmm. cool and always want to give a special shout out to Lee England Jr the soul violinist thank you so much Lee we appreciate your music Alright. And that's it for Naming It. Peace.